athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked into the Dopey Show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Got a good show for you today. As a matter of fact, thank you for joining us. Of course, on last week, North Carolina A&T Director of Athletics, Earl Hilton, joined us on the program. Today, we're going to be joined by the Commissioner of the MEAC, the Commissioner of the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, Dr. Dennis Thomas, going to join us on the program. I'm going to have some thoughts on the Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fight also. So stay tuned for those. Thank you to all of the great radio stations around the country that carry from the press box to press row. Those listening to us today on Sirius XM channel 142 and those listening to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. Let's start with the fight. Like, you know, I was really very much looking forward to this fight um, when the announcement was made about the fight. I guess the announcement was made about the fight. What maybe I mean, when I guess when I first heard about it, I mean, it was sometime in December. And I was super excited about the fight because I didn't have a chance to see the very first fight. But the very first fight obviously ended in a draw. Uh, so there was a lot of interest for this fight. I think it was one of the more anticipated heavyweight championship bouts uh, that we've seen in quite some time. You talk about two champions entering the ring, both without a loss. And uh, I, I don't think we've ever seen, you know, a fight where uh, we've had uh, a, a, a heavyweight championship fight where the fighters had already met in the ring, yet none had a loss on their record. So, you know, I was super excited for that. Um, definitely went out, and I tell you what, I was beat. Tom, the fight was getting ready to roll around. I mean, the fight just, you know, those preliminary fights, and then, you know, I mean, the fight didn't get almost, really didn't get started. It may have been midnight Eastern time. So, uh, you know, but I, I weathered the storm and was able to watch the fight. And, you know, I think the first round, I thought after the first round, like I gave the first round, I think, to Deontay Wilder. From then on, um, it was all Tyson Fury. Um, third round, uh, Wilder gets knocked down. And, you know, I, I don't it, it may have been the second round. I'm trying to think if it was the second or third round where the blood was coming out of his ear. And that was a constant thing. So it wasn't like. You know, it came, did it one time, and it was every time he went to the corner that blood was coming out of his ear. I was very concerned about that. I mean, come to find out it was a cut, that, that blood came from a cut. So I, th- I guess that is a little bit different than, you know, maybe what's going through your mind. And especially when you're looking 
at the way Deontay Wilder was fighting. He clearly didn't have his legs under him from the third round on. Um, I thought that Tyson Fury absolutely dominated that fight. Um, and in terms of the stoppage of the fight, like I can't really be mad at the corner of uh, Deontay Wilder. I mean, you know, I my my thought at the time and, and, and the fight was stopped in the seventh round. I think that my thought at the time was maybe after the fifth round. I mean, it was it was almost like he couldn't meaning Wilder couldn't really defend himself. I mean, Tyson Fury is really, really good. Like, I didn't see him fight uh, Vladimir uh, 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 Klitschko. I didn't see that fight. Um, I hadn't really seen Tyson Fury fight. Uh, I didn't see the first fight between Fury and Wilder. But, I mean, especially for a big man, Tyson Fury is very good. And, I mean, you got to figure, I mean, we're talking about heavyweights. And so... I th- I believe at least at one time the heavyweight division was like you were like maybe it was like 190 pounds or above and 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 it was all encompassing of heavyweights. So I mean at the end of the day, when you're talking about Fury weighing 270 and Wilder weighing 235, that's a vast difference. You can talk about you know I mean you know when you're talking about a 35 pound difference. In the lower weight classes, you're talking about, you know, that 35 pounds is like amongst four different weight classes. I mean, that's like, you know, uh, uh, the difference between like a bantam weight and a welterweight. That's a lot. That's a lot of weight, even though I know it's one classification. I mean, you know, as long as you're above the weight, I, I don't I, I don't know these days. If, is it 190, 200 pounds, whatever it is. So that's a vast difference uh, right there. Um, you know, uh, Fury, the much bigger guy, um, uh, much more skilled, uh, much more skilled. I mean, you're talking about a guy that has some some serious skills. And, um, you know, I was concerned for Wilder, to be honest with you. And when his when when actually my initial reaction when the fight was stopped was like, no, you know, I didn't want to see the fight stop. Like, I felt like I felt like at least in the seventh round or in that round, even though he Wilder was definitely getting pummeled. There's no question about that. I still felt like he had something left. I thought they should have stopped the fight before the seventh round. Then come to find out uh, one of the co-trainers, Mark Breland, a former heavyweight champion, um, was the one who threw in the towel generally. And I, I don't I don't think that the referee is mandated to stop the fight if the corner throws in the towel. But in this case, I think what the referee saw or was seeing, and maybe he wanted to stop the fight already, coupled by the fact that the towel was thrown in, led him to stop the fight. So, I mean, I think ultimately probably the right thing was done, to be honest with you, because, I mean, it what we can talk about, you can talk about all day about Wilder being a one punch guy. You know, he has the ability on one punch to knock you out. I mean, you can talk about that all day, but I didn't see where that was going to happen at all. And I mean, I, I realize that, um, you know, after the fight, Wilder talked about, you know, if you saw the fight, you saw he came in in this costume with the mask that was heavy, you know, and he said, well, 
that was the reason he didn't never had his or he didn't really have his legs under him or I guess really never had his legs under him was because of the costume uh, that he wore. I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the, I, I don't like the fact that he said that. That's the I, I don't know. Is Could there be some truth to that? Maybe. I just don't like, you know, it's one of those deals where I mean, I, immediately after the fight, he says, "Well, there was, a, you know, there's a lot of things that were happening, and blah blah blah, and you know, but I don't make any excuses." Well, if you're if you are saying that there was something preventing you from winning the fight, then you are, other than the man flat out beat you or your opponent flat out beat you, then in fact you are making a- a- excuses. So you know, I didn't necessarily like that, um, whether it did or not. Um, it remains to be seen. I think the bigger question is, does Deontay Wilder, does he now sign the papers for a rematch? I think that's a huge question because I know initially the report was the loser of the fight, or in this case, Wilder had 30 days to sign the papers for a rematch. Ultimately, it, 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 it's 25 days. That, that hasn't happened as of yet. I don't know. Like you took a beating like that. And, you know, I I think it just shows that he is a guy that has a lot of power that with that one punch can knock guys out. I mean, he was 42 and 041 of those wins by knockout. I remember we had Deontay Wilder on the program back in 2013. And one of the reasons I wanted to have him on was because he had this great wins to knockout ratio. I think at the time it was like 30 to 30 when we had him on and he was very charismatic and all of that. But I'm really wondering the way he got beat. He was dominated in this fight. Is he now ready to have a fight in the summer or they, they could push it back to the fall. But is he ready to, in fact, have a fight in the next five to eight months? I don't know. I, I you know, it, 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 there's got to be a lot that's going to have to happen. Uh, I think Fury obviously is going to be on top of his game. So I'm not really sure if Deontay Wilder is ready or more appropriately would be ready. But almost really the mentality that he has, I think, from a from his mentality standpoint and sort of how he talks and how he presents himself I'm sure he's going to want to fight is that the right business move I think that's the question and I think he almost really doesn't have a choice to be honest with you you know you got another heavyweight Anthony Joshua waiting in the rings at the end of the day Wilder controls his own destiny. So in other words, if he decided not to, let's just say he decided not to take this fight. Well, you know, if he decides not to take the fight, then, you know, it may be some time before he gets another opportunity. And then he's out of control of his own destiny by him agreeing to, in fact, uh, take the rematch, which the clause states that the the loser had the right. And it's something like a 60, 40 split for the winner, something like that. And then, the you know, again, the other thing is that the fight is supposed to happen by the middle part of July, but, you know, it could be pushed back to the fall per Bob Arum, per a, an article I was reading where Bob Arum, uh, the promoter, was uh, quoted. Uh, you know, I, I think he has to. Like, you know, then he, he, he controls his own destiny. He's still relevant. Now, you know, I think if he ultimately fights well regardless uh even at a loss i think if he fights well then we'll ultimately see 
I mean, I think he'll have to, you know, wait his time a little bit, but I think we'll ultimately see. Because when you look at the heavyweight ranks right now, like it's only a couple, it's only those three guys. You know, really right now, I mean, I guess you throw in Ruiz because he, you know, messed around and won, you know, a championship. But really, it's those three guys. So, you know, it's sort of a rotation thing. And, I, you know, we may have some other guys that, that come out. Like, I don't know if there are other guys that are out there. And I just think while the iron is hot and while you still have some control, even though I really think the way that he got beat, you know, it could be better to wait and to get the skill level up because, I mean, he's given away, you know, 40 pounds to Fury. And that shows. I mean, I don't I don't care what you say. I mean, you, you can be heavyweights all you want. And I realize in the, you know, in their first fight, he knocked them down twice, including in the last round, which most guys would have been knocked out by that punch. But Fury was able to get up. And it ultimately saved him. And that's why we're where we are now. But, you know, I I think, you know, I think he has to do it. I mean, I think he I think he ultimately has to uh, to sign this rematch and, uh, you know, train these next five to eight months like he's never trained before um, and uh, see what he's able to do in the ring uh, the third time around against Tyson Fury. Your thoughts. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two R-O-W. MIAC Commissioner Dr. Dennis Thomas is up next. Box to Row. Box to Row.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the game of the week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. Box to Row.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? Box to Row.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All-American teams and weekly media coaches polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And Box to Row.com. Your HBCU sports leader. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Uh, as mentioned, we are joined by a gentleman, as a matter of fact, in his 18th season as the commissioner of the MEAC, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference. And I tell you what, he's in so many Hall of Fames, there's too many to mention his uh, really grown the MEAC conference. A lot of great things that we're going to talk about uh, with respect to the MEAC. Dr. Dennis Thomas, Commissioner of the Middle Eastern Athletic Conference, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Uh, Commissioner Thomas, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you very much, Tom. It's always a, a pleasure to to be on your show and uh, for you extending the opportunity to talk about the uh, Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, the MEAC. Absolutely. Where, how, tell us how the MEAC has grown since you came in, what, 2000, 2001, 2002, um, to where it is now. Obviously, a lot has transpired in the MEAC in, those now, in your now 18th year as the commissioner. Well, uh, Donald, um, I thought this was going to be a 10, 15-minute conversation, but, <laughs> yes. but now we got to go into several <laughs> hours, you know? Gee. Give, give me the but, short uh, version, Commissioner. The short the short version, <laughs> if you can. If you can. <laughs> yeah, I, um, 
Well, in 2002, um, we did not have a multimedia uh, TV component to the conference. Uh, we've been able to secure uh, ESPN, and, and we did that in 2005, your inaugural year, uh, where we actually uh, signed a multi-year agreement with uh, ESPNU. And so we've had uh, a linear uh, contract with ESPN since 2005. So you're talking about 15 years of of uh, uh, TV coverage uh, by the worldwide leader in sports. And so we've been able uh, to bring Nike from head to toe. Uh, on board for our membership in a, a multi-year, uh, multi-million dollar uh, agreement as as well. Uh, we've been able to uh, implement uh, Instant Replay. We were the first FCS conference uh, to do that for football, and um, that was huge for us in terms of uh, uh have an opportunity to to correct calls uh, that need to be corrected from uh, uh, instant replay uh, component. We we have established a relationship with the NFL in terms of officiating, and uh, uh, where the NFL would place officials into our officiating program, and those officials they thought had potential to go to the uh, the next level, the NFL. Um, we've been able to establish the MEAC SWAC football challenge. Um, that started back in 2005, and, and that was on a Sunday uh, at the beginning of the year, the first Sunday uh, in September, and that has been on ESPN for the first uh, 12 years it was on ESPN and then the last couple of years uh, three years it was on ESPN 2 and those those uh, uh, games uh, have provided new revenue streams for our institutions in addition to branding uh, uh, for recruiting not only student athletes but for recruiting students Obviously, um, I'm very proud of, of the MEAC SWAC Challenge, and I'm also proud that uh, I'm the person who actually uh, recommended to ESPN that we have a postseason bowl game. And, uh, and that was back in 2004 that I asked them to do so. And um, it took me a decade to... to, to get my membership on board because uh, we had an AQ in FCS football and um, and so we didn't want to give that up but our champion ESPN wanted the champion from the MEAC and the champion from from the uh, the uh, SWAC so I, I kept after it was very persistent and persevered and uh, and my vision for a postseason bowl game 
for the conference became a reality. And so I'm very pleased that we had another new revenue stream. We had another new branding stream. We had another new aspect component that would allow the world to see uh, uh, the MEAC institutions uh, on ABC. And that has been absolutely uh, phenomenal. So uh, we were able to extend that when the digital aspect of broadcasting became prevalent on the landscape, we were able to uh, have another deal with ESPN uh, for ESPN3 broadcast. And so uh, that really propelled uh, our ability to broadcast every football game, right. uh, particularly conference football game. So right. all those things has been absolutely uh, phenomenal for us. Now, I could go on and on, but those are just some of the things that we were able to accomplish. No, no question about it. That's the voice of Dr. Dennis Thomas, the commissioner of the MEAC or Mideastern Athletic Conference. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Pressure On. You're right. All of those things uh, are great. We got to look at the other side of this thing, because if you look at the last, you know, two plus years, you have had three schools uh, that either have or are in the process of leaving the conference. It was, uh, you know, it was Hampton going back to 2017, also with Savannah State, who announced that they were moving back to uh, the SIAC. And then ultimately, you know, last month, A&T uh, announced that it was going to leave the uh, the MEAC after uh, this upcoming season. Your your thoughts on A&T leaving the MEAC for the Big South? Well, obviously, um, um you don't want to lose members of your conference, but uh, uh, A&T uh, did what they thought was best for them. And uh, obviously we respectfully disagree. But uh, we thought that and still believe that the MEAC is the place to be, And uh, but we wish them at the absolute best uh, on their new journey with another conference. Yeah. Uh, is there so with that, with that being said, uh, because, you know, Commissioner, and I know you and I talk and I know you offer um, expansion to schools um, every year. How, how for you personally, because you've done some really good things, you've mentioned the things um, that have been done uh, under your watch. You know, how, how disappointing is it to have uh, the three schools leave in that time frame when you and when you think about it and you go back you know, even to, I don't know, 2006, you were on the cusp of having like, you know, maybe 13 or 14 schools splitting this thing up and having that conference championship. I mean, how how, how disappointing is that to have had the, you know, the, the, that kind of turnover here in the last couple of years? Uh, uh, Donald, you know, you are, you are absolutely correct. Uh, that was part of our strategic plan. And uh, to have the visional play in football, and uh, take a look at having a championship game uh, at the end uh, of the football season. So we just have to recalibrate and uh, uh, re reanalyze uh, uh, in terms of where we want to go uh, within the next uh, three to five years, and uh, and take it from there, Donald. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just wonder because I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not on either side. I'm, I'm just, I'm just asking because when I look at, you know, even when Hampton left the conference, I think the concern that probably I had and every, every, a lot of other people was, you know, I, I don't know about why they left the conference, but it's, it, it was when they left the conference, like how it all happened and all of that. I mean, I definitely didn't, dis, I, I didn't agree with that. But why? I mean. Why is it that the MIAC, with all of the offerings and everything that you just mentioned, you talk about a celebration bowl, you talk about the digital platform, you talk about, you know, certainly the revenue streams, and also you talk about um, the partnerships, particularly with ESPN. Uh, why hasn't the MIAC been able to expand? Why have you not been able to get schools to come into the conference? Well, we've been able to get institutions to come into conference. I mean, the facts. The facts are that in the in the uh, mid '90s to late '90s, we we admitted uh, Hampton and then uh, Norfolk State, and in the 2000s, you know, we admitted uh, uh, Winston Salem State, uh, and they went back to Division Two once they changed chancellors, and then we uh, we admitted uh, North readmitted North Carolina Central and Savannah State, so we have. Ex- we have expanded uh, during my tenure as commissioner, uh, but we're going to need to, as I mentioned, to recalibrate, reassess, uh, and keep uh, looking at the landscape for not only HBCUs, but for other non-HBCUs that fit our profile from an academic, athletic, geographical, and demographic point of view. Dr. Dennis Thomas is the commissioner of the MIAC. He joins us here on the program uh, in in the aftermath or right after it was officially announced that uh, A&T would uh, would leave the conference. The MIAC came out with a statement uh, in, in basically saying that the, the schools that uh, uh, were there, which I mean, obviously still includes A&T at this moment, were united. Um, uh, but uh, is there any concern that uh, eventually other schools uh, may leave the MIAC? Well, it's, it's a fluid situation, but I think that our press release clearly indicated that um, the current presidents and chancellors are committed to the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference uh, for, the, for the near future. And I don't think uh, the president and chancellor would have made a statement like that if they were not uh, committed and wanted to convey that to the public as well, to their alumni and to their fan base and student-athletes and others. Hold the line for me one second, Commissioner Thomas. We're talking with MEAC Commissioner Dr. Dennis Thomas. More of our conversation on the other side. We're back with Dr. Dennis Thomas, the commissioner of the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, joining us here on the program. And, you know, and and I must say, and and, and, and again, uh, you know, with Hampton uh, uh, leaving the conference at the time it left, I don't I don't believe the digital platform, uh, as at least as we know it now, was in was in place uh, for you. And that's one of the things that I sort of sort of said that, you know, maybe, you know, uh, there could be that platform in place, which it is in place now. 
uh, it seems like you have a lot of a lot of things, you know, going on. Uh, you know, you talk about it in just kind of uh, some of the things that you mentioned, but also looking at. Uh, you know, some of the some of the bullet points uh, the MEAC has generated more revenue for members than any other conference in FCS. And that's why I asked the question. I guess I probably should have been a little bit more specific in terms of uh, why why schools lately uh, are not coming on board. But aside from that, what are some of the other things that um, the MEAC has uh, in terms of uh, visionary, et cetera, on the horizon? Well, uh, first and foremost, we want to continue to take advantage of the uh, digital platform. And um, I think it's important for us to really uh, look at uh, the game day experience uh, from a digital uh, platform in in reference to uh, similar uh, uh, like uh, game day that you see on ESPN we want to have our own game day for the MIA, where we would go to the campus um, on Friday and Saturday to promote that game of the week and promote all that's great about that institution or both institutions that playing and have the same kind of interviews with the different uh, uh, celebrities, different former players, uh, different former pro, pro players, and so we are working on that, uh, and uh, hopefully we can implement that, if not uh, this coming football season for sure for the 2021 season. So we're working really, really hard to uh, to expand the MEAC digital network, and we implemented the digital network two years ago, and so that's been really, really great for us and, and for our institutions where uh, the world can, can see games uh, from your smartphone. All you need is the uh, ESPN app, and uh, you can pull up our games uh, on, on the ESPN app. In addition to that, we have uh, four basketball games. Uh, regular season games on ESPNU, and and that has um, uh, continued to expand our, our, our broadcast for men's uh, basketball. Uh, in case you didn't know, we are uh, televising uh, over 12 additional basketball games on Flow Sports Network. And and uh, that is a pay-per-view uh, network. I'm sure you are familiar with Flow Sports. Sure. Been able to expand our coverage beyond uh, what ESPN uh, has done for us as well. Uh, also, this is uh, an opportunity for uh, our institutions to brand uh, uh, their institutions uh, on different kinds of uh, digital uh, network uh, platforms. So you go from, you have it on ESPN, now you go to a different platform like Flow Sports, so it caters to uh, another uh, demographic that probably we would not be able to 
to see see our product. So all those things are, are are very exciting for us as we move forward into that into that space uh, in reference to the uh, digital aspect. Now I, we did say ten to fifteen minutes. We we we've run. I mean, you you got I got a couple of more. I got some more questions. You got you got the time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but but I wanna I wanna really uh, expand on what you what you mentioned. Okay. In uh, in reference to the the revenue distribution that we've given uh, our institution. Okay. Go ahead. See, see, see we we have and we. We are we are the leading uh, FCS conference in giving revenue back to our institution on an annual basis. Uh, so that has been absolutely tremendous. Uh, we we since I've been commissioner, we've given over thirty five million dollars back to our member institutions. So um, that's an aspect of how we've been able to be frugal and very financially. Uh, 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 stable uh, and efficient with our with our resources. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Dennis Thomas is the commissioner of the Mid Eastern Athletic Conference. He joins us here on the program. So you know, and, and it's interesting because when you were on the show last, uh, it was back in 2015, right after the announcement uh, of the Celebration Bowl. I think a lot of people uh, weren't on on board with it. Uh, uh, per se, I think if you look at uh, even the way it started, which was outstanding, to where it is now, I think it. I think it's good. I, I think it's good. But where are we? Like, it, uh, is this the last year of the contract for the Celebration Bowl? And uh, if so, uh, where where are we preliminarily? Do you believe that this contract will in fact be extended? Yes, it is the last year, and I do believe in my. In my communication with ESPN that uh, it will be extended for additional years as well. Okay. All right. Um, so getting back, I know, I mean, like, I'd love to be able to ask you, like, which schools are you trying to recruit? I get it. You you can't, you, you're not going to be able to say, and, that, and that's fine. But where... Are you looking? Are you looking? I guess across the landscape. Are you looking at D two schools? Are you looking at uh, other FCS schools? Are you looking at you know schools in the CIAA? Like what's what's sort of the footprint? What kind of school? I, I know you mentioned broadly that you're looking at schools that are going to kind of fit the profile academically, so on and so forth. But you know what, what? Can you be a little bit more specific? Like who? You know what's the footprint? You know what? What schools are you looking uh, to, in fact, recruit to the MEAC? Well, our footprint is from Dover, Delaware to Tallahassee, Florida. So we want to be uh, uh, look at the, those institutions that are in it within our footprint. And because at some point, for football and men and women's basketball, we want to uh, go to the divisional play. In the in the Olympic sports, we pretty much have been individual play since I've been uh, commissioner. So, but uh, in terms of uh, naming names or, or the visits, that we're looking at, we're looking at institutions that that uh, might want to reclassify from Division Two to Division One, and we're also looking at institutions that are all that are already Division One. So, uh, Donald, that's all I can tell you at this point in time. 
I got it. No, I got, I get it. I, I got to ask. You know, I, I get it. Uh, so, I mean, are are you? Can you say that you are looking also at? Uh, obviously, you look at this conference. Um, it is a conference that was founded uh, in S. Well, it was founded uh, by HBCU member institutions. If 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 I'm not wrong here, in 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 50 years, it's been all HBCUs. Are you also looking at non-HBCU schools? Yeah, as I stated earlier, Don, that we were uh, considering since I've been um, since I've been um, commissioner, we have always considered non-HBCUs as well. Uh, just so just so happens that we were not able to bring any of those institutions that we actually were, were recruiting to. To come into our conference. Yeah. Uh, last couple of thoughts. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we we were at the uh, you know at, at the funeral of a, of a good friend of ours uh, back in January uh, in, in Roscoe Nance. We had a chance to talk momentarily. You had a chance um, to speak. Told told some some good stories. Really. Um, you're just. What do you remember most? And, and it's interesting because I don't think I. I don't think I knew you went to Alcorn and I, you know, I, you know, maybe until 2007, something like that. I don't know how many people I mean, you've been around 18 years now. I'm sure people know that by now, but you are a graduate of Alcorn, played in the swag. What do you remember most about your days uh, at Alcorn State? Well, it's Alcorn State is very dear uh, uh, to me, simply because um my family history and family legacy. My uh, my grandfather, my mother's father, uh, graduated from Alcorn in 1915, and so and my mother graduated from Alcorn. I have an aunt that graduated from Alcorn. I have a, a, a younger brother who graduated from Alcorn. I have a younger sister who graduated from Alcorn. So and I graduated from Alcorn. So it's it's pretty much a, a legacy that we have in our association with Alcorn State. I uh, I uh, give credit to Alcorn as as formalizing and stabilizing my young professional career and providing a foundation for me to build upon once I graduated from Alcorn. So I have uh, Alcorn to thank. Uh, for for establishing and inculcating within Dennis Thomas the values that are needed to be successful as a as a professional. Yeah. And then lastly, I think it's apropos uh, that both you and uh, Joe Taylor uh, both inducted uh, into the Black College uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, what does that uh, mean to you? Oh my goodness! What a what a man! Uh, what a coach! Uh, I had the pleasure of working with Coach Taylor, and man, uh, he's top chef. Uh, you don't you don't get any better man. You don't get any better coach. You don't get any better professional. Uh, he he he's he checks all the boxes. So uh, for us to go in the Black College Football Hall of Fame, man, that's that's the that's the best that it can get for me to to go in with Coach Taylor. Yeah, 
Yeah, and yeah, no, no question about it. A, a great honor uh, and deserve. Dr. Dennis Thomas, the commissioner of the MIAC in his 18th season, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Commissioner Thomas, really appreciate the time. Uh, continued success to you and uh, everyone there at the MIAC for the uh, great work that you're doing. Okay, thank you very much. And, and Donald, uh, I must say, man, the true measure of, of success is longevity. And you have uh, been doing this now since 2005. It's 2020 now. So you have achieved longevity. So you must be doing something right. <laughs> I appreciate that, Commissioner Thomas. Thank you. Okay. MEAC Commissioner Dr. Dennis Thomas, your reaction to anything he had to say, hit me up via Twitter or on Facebook. Give me your reaction. My thoughts on the other side. BoxToRow.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the Game of the Week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. BoxToRow.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? BoxToRow.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All-American teams and weekly media coaches polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And BoxToRow.com, your HBCU sports leader. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Press Row. Welcome back to From the Press Box to Press Row. Join us on the conversation. Hit us up via Twitter at Box to Row, B O X T O R O W, or on Facebook, B O X, the number two R O W. In the last couple of segments, talking with Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference Commissioner Dr. Dennis Thomas. Your thoughts on anything he had to say? I asked him his thoughts about North Carolina A&T leaving the conference. He said uh, he re- he re- they respectfully disagree, meaning the MEAC, in terms of A&T leaving the conference, but he also said that A&T had to do what's in the best interests of, of, of A&T and um, – so, you know, it, it does. I mean, it, it, it you know, and, and this is the thing. And even uh, Earl Hilton, the director of athletics at A&T, said this last week. It was not about the MEAC. And I asked him, was it about some things maybe the MEAC wasn't doing? Um, I feel like, um, you know, in, in talking with the commissioner, it, it, it really it, it really isn't about what the MEAC isn't doing or hasn't done i think the miac i mean again you know i mentioned this when hampton left the conference i thought maybe you know i thought maybe i said at that time you know and and again you're going back to november of 2017 and i said well you know maybe there are some things that the miac uh isn't doing or needs to do better and one of those things uh, was to be able to get a digital network or a digital platform which the miac now has I mean I, that's a small thing, but it it's 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 not. I mean like it, it's a it's actually not small because that's how you're able to promote your product and not just football. I mean, if you look at it, the MIAC and the SWAC for that matter has had uh, a really nice deal and a really nice relationship 
with ESPN. I mean, a lot of FCS conferences now, you know, the Big South has a relationship with ESPN where a lot of the games are going to be uh, uh, a lot of the events, uh, whether it's uh, football games, all of the football games, you know, basketball, uh, other sports are going to be broadcast mostly on uh, ESPN plus maybe ESPN three. I know that there are quite a few basketball games this year that are going to be broadcast uh, uh, actually on ESPN U, uh, but nobody, none, none of the FCS conferences have the deal that the MIAC and the SWAC does with ESPN. In other words, how I mean, how long have those Thursday night games, those Thursday night football games, uh, whether it's a SWAC opponent or a MIAC opponent, how long have those games? been airing on ESPN U on Thursday night. At least 10 years. I mean, at least 10 years. You look at the MEAC SWAC Challenge. Um, I mean, that's been going on since uh, what was the first game back in 2005, and that's been aired every year uh, at the minimum on ESPN 2. I think maybe for at least a year, perhaps two, it was aired on ESPN because it was always that Sunday of Labor Day weekend. The National Football League hadn't started as of yet. Um, I mean, I think more recently you've seen more of the um, uh, uh, of college football games being played uh, on Sundays of Labor Day weekend where you didn't really see that in the past. So really the Miak Swack Challenge had sort of its, you know, it was by itself and ESPN would show it, but it on the at the minimum has been shown on ESPN2. I think that's big. I think the Thursday night games are big. I mean, uh, the Big South doesn't have um, doesn't have that kind of deal. Um, I think when you talk about basketball, I mean, let's be honest. When you're talking about sports, football is king, partic- in, 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 and more specifically in HBCU. Football is king. It's HBCU football. It has a high interest, not only among the fan bases uh, of the respective schools in the MIAC and the SWAC, but HBCU football um, fans as a whole. And then I think uh, to a degree, even outside of HBCU, uh, there is an interest in HBCU football, I think, especially when you look at um, a lot of the the players that have been drafted more recently, um, I think. A lot of what HBCUs have done and what HBCU and more specifically in this instant in this instance, football has meant to the National Football League. I think there's a lot uh, of interest uh, in that. Um, a lot of people look at it, uh, look at history and then you want to say, OK, well, what does HBCU football look like now? And you can look at. You know, some of the draft picks, uh, some of the guys that have been drafted more recently uh, out of out of HBCU schools to play in the National Football League and those that are excelling on a high level. Uh, the Darius Hargroves, uh, the the uh, the um, uh, excuse me, Darius Leonard's, the Javon Hargraves, um, the uh, Tariq Cohen's, um, the uh, 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 the Teron Armstead's. Uh, the list goes on and on in terms of, 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 of the players that are excelling. So, I mean, I think that's something that um, the, the MEAC has that's a positive. You heard the commissioner say now the, you know, um, the the uh, agreement uh, for the Celebration Bowl is up after the end of this season. And from everything I've seen, I mean, I thought 
I mean, you could argue that 2019 was the best year of the Celebration Bowl. I thought the ratings were solid. I thought the attendance numbers were solid, the best attendance. Uh, I believe that the Celebration Bowl had since the very first Celebration Bowl. Uh, I, I believe that um, there are going to still be some efforts to continue to market it um, and that more people will come. And, I, you know, obviously, I, I think a lot of it depends upon the schools that are playing. But I think if you have the right schools that are playing, I mean, I think one of the ideal matchups would be either a Florida A&M or an A&T um, taking on a Southern or a Jackson State. I mean, Alcorn State uh, is right there as well in terms of the fan base um, that those schools are going to bring. But, I mean, I think, you know, Southern and Jackson State bring like a ridiculous fan base. And especially um, if one of those schools uh, uh, were to get in, and especially the drought that those schools are under in terms of uh, either winning um, a, a SWAC championship or competing really for a, 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 a uh, comp- or comp- really competing for a celebration bowl like this, the Jackson State nor all Alcorn- nor uh, Southern has competed for a celebration bowl. I think that that would generate a lot of interest. But I think, you know, listen, I think that um, the MEAC, the SWAC, ESPN, I think has done a tremendous job with the celebration bowl I, th- I don't i don't see any reason why it wouldn't continue i don't know what the monetary part of that looks like in terms of the sponsorships um but i think you know i mean i think uh, again i think from a historical perspective and what the swack and the miac mean i think that this thing continues on even if it's something like a, a you know a, a two-year or a a three-year extension so i think the miac has a lot to offer uh, uh, quite frankly, I don't think I think, you know, A&T in terms of making this move. I mean, I think, you know, you heard a lot about and, and, and Earl Hilton talked about this last week in terms uh, of the travel in terms of the student athlete welfare. And, you know, like he said last week, which I thought was very interesting when I pointed out that, you know, when you go to the south, I think uh, North Alabama uh, is further away. Uh, then is Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman. If I go up north, and, and this is obviously for football, um, you know, Monmouth is further than Delaware State is. But like he said, the average distance of travel across all sports is significantly less uh, in the Big South than in the MEAC. So that is, you know, in, in essence, you know, that is is a huge savings. That's a huge savings to a budget. Uh, and I think that makes a difference um you know and again we'll see i mean time will tell how this ultimately plays out i know a lot of you know i talked i've talked with a lot of people you know i know a lot of people aren't you know in the hbcu world uh weren't necessarily thrilled about the move but i think you know i i i I have no reason to think otherwise okay i have no reason to think other than this is going to ultimately be something that is going to be successful for North Carolina A&T moving forward. We'll see how it plays out. Um, I mean, you talk about, you know, leadership there. I mean, I think it's absolutely tremendous. And I think this is something. And and, and, and quite frankly, A&T is bringing a lot to the Big South. That's the thing about this whole thing. Like A&T is bringing a lot to the Big South because, you know, again, I mentioned uh, the deal that the MEAC has with 
uh, with ESPN, you know, and I think more so of a deal when you're talking about the promote, you know, you're talking about football and men's basketball. Those are revenue generating sports and ESPN, not just plus, but ESPN U at the least shows, uh, you know, you got the basketball games during the season on Monday. I mean, how long does that go back to basketball games? How long does the basketball games being shown go back on Monday night? You have a MEAC game at 7 p.m. Eastern and a SWAT game at 9 p.m. Eastern. How long has that been going on? So I think that the MEAC has a good deal, um, certainly right there. Um, but, you know, I, I think ultimately we will see how all of this plays out. Um, and uh, ultimately, um, as as time goes on, uh, the, the move that A&T made, I mean, I, you know, I think it's just a shock. I think right now it's it, it's a shock. I mean, all of the, you know, different variances of, you know, what could happen and what could be and what may not be and all of those kind of things. Like, for instance, I mean, I've heard a couple of times people say, well, what's homecoming going to look like? Well, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's still going to be A&T's homecoming. What does it really make a difference? In terms of who A&T plays and further, you would want to play a lesser opponent. No, I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, but, uh, you know, A&T has played some tough opponents, uh, has played some tough opponents on homecoming. But do you want to, you know, I mean, wouldn't you want to play, you know, uh, 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 and I think top to bottom, uh, you know, MEAC football is better top to bottom. Now, if you look at the strictly at the top of things where things sit right now, you're talking about in the Big South, Monmouth and Kennesaw, who have made the playoffs the last couple of years. But I think top to bottom, the MEAC is better. Florida A&M is making a nice run. A&T is going to be good. But then Cookman is always consistent. North Carolina Central is pretty consistent. So, I mean, I think top to bottom, the MEAC is better. But. You know, we'll see how things ultimately play out. But again, I think at the end of the day, what we're not discussing also is what A&T is bringing to the Big South. And A&T is bringing a lot to the Big South, both academic, uh, both athletically and then on the academic side as well as the largest HBCU um, as a research institution, etc. Your thoughts. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two R-O-W. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to MEAC Commissioner Dr. Dennis Thomas for joining us today here on the program. For more information on From the Press Box to Press Row, log on to our website at BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. 